which is from 1 Timothy chapter 5 and it's verses 1 to 8. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead, even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Well, thank you very much, Vicky, for reading to us. I am not going to pretend to cover all those verses phrase by phrase this morning. In fact, I'm going to begin with a completely different verse in a moment on our topic today of the church as the family of God. But let's pray together first as we turn to Scripture. Father, please speak to us by your word and by your spirit, write that word into our hearts and our lives, we pray. Amen. Now, I got a free gift this week in my supermarket shopping delivery, and I wanted to pass it on to someone else. Um, because I'm in the pulpit, I think I can easily invite Josh Kenneth to shift the camera for a moment back onto the lectern so that Edward Keane can have my freebie. Give him a show. Yeah, there we go. And it involves running a taste test. So the taste test is going to happen. And he gets a drink of the product. Okay, I don't think he's peeped. Any ideas, Edward? Diet's Coke. Okay, well, let's have the big reveal. Let's see if he got it right. Uh, Pepsi Max. Well, enjoy, Edward. <laughs> now, you better switch it back to me because I don't know if I'm allowed to do this if I'm revealing our sponsors or not. But I have bought... Um, something into the pulpit with me. I have, I have never drunk a fizzy drink in the pulpit before, just in case I need a lift. Lots of you will know the old Coca-Cola logo. It's the real thing. And the claim they were making that was presumably that the competitors were just pale reflections, um, with which I heartily concur, except no substitutes. Now, I'm guessing Edward will be fine after the service. Not too much hangs on this taste test. It's just carbonated sugar water. There is more to life. But sometimes a test for genuineness is really important. And I want us to begin with a Bible verse which tests us for the genuineness of our Christian faith. In fact, it's taken from 1 John, a New Testament letter, with many such tests. This is just one of the tests for who is the real thing when it comes to genuine spiritual experience. 
and it's particularly relevant for our topic today as we think about the church as the family of God. The verse is going to go up on the screen now. This is the uh, Messages translation, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. The way we know we've been transferred from death to life is that we love our brothers and sisters. So you see what the test is there. Very simple one. It envisages two groups of people in the world, those who are in the realm of death and those who've been transferred out of that realm into the kingdom of life. How do we know whether we're still in the realm of death or have moved into the realm of life? Well, a straightforward test. Do I love the sisters and brothers of the Christian family? If I don't love the Christian brothers and sisters, that's a sign that I have no spiritual life because if I've received spiritual life and you've received spiritual life, I will discover that we have a bond. I love you. Of course I will. And you will love me. We are family. That's the norm. We have the same Father in heaven. We have the same Holy Spirit within us both. And Jesus died for you as he died for me. So both of us naturally, or rather supernaturally, will live out the loving family relationship, which is a reality between us. And if the love is not there between us, it raises the question as to whether one or both of us are not, in fact, the genuine article. We're not both members of the same heavenly family. Possibly, I suppose, neither of us are in that family. But it puts in question whether we are brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the same heavenly father, if that family love is absent. Now, that thought of love being the hallmark of genuine spiritual life in the family of God, lies behind and makes sense of the passage which Vicky read. As I said, I'm not expounding the teaching here, and I wanted, I don't know if I've succeeded in this, I'm pretty sure I haven't succeeded, I wanted to be briefer than I sometimes am, but we're not going to go through it all. But I am being true to Paul's aims in the letter, because he says earlier on, that he's writing this letter to Timothy so that the people who got the letter in Ephesus, in modern-day Turkey, will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. So the instructions in chapter 5 are family values for God's extended family, the church. And surely this makes us prick up our ears, because all around us we see evidence of the collapse of community. You know, people are always looking for explanations. The finger gets pointed in all sorts of uh, different directions. More and more single occupancy housing, consumerism, technology, whatever it might be. But the reality is that we struggle to make and maintain lasting relationships as individuals. And the collapse of community as a whole is often spoken of as imminent. And the message of Jesus Christ speaks directly to us <clears throat> because the Christian good news creates community, God's household, a family. So if you're not yourself a Christian today, I hope it may create a hunger within for the kind of alternative community and relationships that we see described in this little passage. I've got two simple headings to give you. First, 
the importance of earthly families, um, which I learned by implication in the second bit of the passage, verses 3 to 8. Now, that was a section about how the church was to care for widows. So in verse 3, Paul says, you might find it helpful to have this open if you can get it uh, aside of it in a Bible. Verse 3, Paul says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. And I suppose what follows seems quite an obscure topic to us, but it isn't out of kilter with the rest of the Bible. In the Old Testament, people were expressly commanded to protect the interests of widows. And God himself is described as the Lord who sustains the fatherless and the widow. God is described like that, then, of course, no surprise, the early church took care of their widows. But in Ephesus, where Timothy was staying, they were so committed to providing support for the widows that not just elderly widows, but young ones were getting in on the act. And not just Christians, but anyone and everyone, it seems. And if you think about it, where else would they find that sort of warmth and concern for their welfare. And Paul therefore had to write to Timothy to establish which widows qualified for the church's support and which ones didn't. So he says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Not a question of not caring for the needy, of course, but proper recognition to those who are really in need. What he means by that is expanded in verse 5. The widow who's really in need is the one who is, it says, left all alone. In other words, she has no living relatives to turn to for support. By contrast, a couple of times, Paul mentions that some widows do have alternative means of support. Their earthly families should provide it. So he says in verse 4, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Now, he's got more to say on this topic. This isn't an exhaustive treatment of it, um, and we're not going to focus in on it too much today. But you see there how that simple idea illustrates the point I'm making about the importance of earthly families. At the latest count I've heard of, to raise a child to the age of 18 costs £151,000, though the costs are on average more than 30000 higher for single-parent households. Um, purely in financial terms, that would be some debt for children to repay, wouldn't it? And anyway, how do you put a, a cash value on a parent's love? But the expectation here is that when the widows have surviving relatives, they will be meeting their needs as best they can. In fact, not to do so is a scandalous denial of the faith, according to verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And we might talk till the cows come home about our vertical relationship with God, the times we spend praying to him or singing his praises and reading his word. But if there would be no horizontal expression of it in meeting the needs of others, and particularly of our earthly families, then the so-called vertical relationship, this is saying, is a sham. Jesus actually made a similar point 
in debate with the Pharisees. They had a little loophole which said, if I dedicated my money to God, then it needn't be given to my parents. Sorry about that, mum and dad. And Jesus said, no, that's actually to nullify the commandment of God, namely the fifth commandment, to honor your earthly parents. So the importance of earthly families is written into the Bible and is part of how the world has been set up by God. Our earthly families, families matter and they are to be honored. Personally, one of my greatest regrets is that I have at times hidden behind my delight in the heavenly family to which I belonged, as if that let me off, valuing my earthly family as I should have. And I certainly regret not being grateful for all that they gave me, not making phone calls or sending cards, uh, not seeking advice when I could have done that. It took me to a long time to get to the point where I was committed to showing support for my parents as they got older with God's help. I was too busy doing other things, important things maybe, but I'm ashamed to say that my brother and sister often had to show me the way. So the importance of earthly families, our biological families or our adoptive families. I want to pause now. Why not take a moment just to ponder that? Perhaps to pray prayers of thanks or prayers of confession. Okay, need to check if you're still with me. Uh, I said the sermon was going to be shorter. I can now see that it is not. That's officially proven by what we've done so far. So maybe we need another genuineness test just to keep everyone on board with uh, things. I, I wonder how you like the I am not a robot tests that they have online. You know those things that are designed to check if it's a genuine human being, uh, with a, a pulse and with a mind who is using a supposedly secure website. So it asks you to type in something that's almost completely illegible or to spot how many pictures have fire hydrants. And you have to know what a fire hydrant looks like to answer that, don't you? Just to show you're a real human being with a mind, not just a machine. Well, I asked Alison to come up with one to see if you were paying attention at this point in the sermon. And suddenly, the fire hydrants in her capture test became cats. So you've got to select all the images with a cat. And then you get the tick, I'm not a robot thing. And that's with thanks to cats, Bert and Ernie Hines. Um, I'm not sure, Alison, it works if all nine pictures have cats in them, although I know that that would appeal to you, I'm sure. But we're still focusing on this hallmark of genuineness for the Christian. This is how we know we've passed from death to life, uh, 
says 1 John 3:14, because we love the Christian brothers and sisters. So I want to move from the importance of our earthly families to the transcendent importance, the transcendence of God's family. And I'll have to unpack and explain what the heading means. But it's illustrated in 1 Timothy 5, 1 to 2. We're working back in the passage that was read to us, where we see the family in microcosm, male and female, young and old, and all sorts of different uh, relationships are therefore mentioned. He says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And there is a a lovely, a beautiful all-inclusiveness to that, isn't there? Paul assumes that as a church leader, Timothy will have personal contact with men and women, young and old. And the assumption is that he'll be involved in exhorting and encouraging them all. And the question, therefore, is how, as a youngish man, he was young, is he to relate to different people? While saying, potentially, I guess, pretty difficult things to some of them. Well, answer, as if he was speaking to family members, which he certainly is. With allowances for age and gender, yes, but with the respect and equality and inclusiveness and purity and love that is required in a family. So the differences that exist in any earthly family are not eliminated, but they are transcended, and it is a beautiful, beautiful picture. Now, in all those relationships, the commands themselves are addressed to Timothy as a church leader. And yet, given that throughout the letter, he is to be an example to the believers, well, whether we are in Christian leadership or not, there will be things to learn from this recognizing the natural differences in our relationships with other Christians, yes, and not least that there will be healthy relationships across the generation gap and the gender divide. We're not to treat everyone in exactly the same way, but we are to be a loving family. I keep talking about that weekend away we had back in March. The memory of it is still very fresh to me. It's one of the things that was so wonderful about that time for those of us who were on it. There we were in Letton Hall, um, both genders, all ages together, so that more of the social mix of God's family was experienced. It's a beautiful thing. If you know who you are and who others are, and we all treat each other appropriately and in loving family relationships. Well, I wonder how you respond to today's little snapshot of the Christian family. It's really illustrative rather than heavy teaching, isn't it? Many watching today, I know, already belong and are glad to belong. And I want to say, by way of response, do thank God, please, for being in his family today. Will you do that? Maybe some people watching are looking in from the outside wistfully. Well, a few words to you, if I may. We've been focusing today on how Christians behave in the household of God, but that is not the entry point into God's family. The way into God's family is not connected with what we do or who we are. It's all tied up with what God has done. 
However hard I try to show love to others in the 21st century, it will not mend the broken relationship with God that we all naturally have. Only what Jesus did in the first century can achieve that. Coming into our world and dying on the cross in our place to bring us back to God. Opening up his arms as he hung there to say, welcome to the family. So no cleanup act that we can attempt will achieve that. Only the rescue that Jesus Christ did when he came into the world to save sinners. Our response is not actually to do anything. It's simply, uh, like the widow in our reading, to put our hope in God. That's actually a phrase that crops up throughout the little letter of 1 Timothy. It means to pray to God and to rely on him for our life and eternity, to put our hope in God. And when we do that, the family doors are opened wide. And I hope if you long to be part of the family, you will do that even today in a prayer to God. What's the response to this, if I am genuinely part of the family? Well, it will be for us all to live those relationships out more fully. I said before that my longing for us as a church is for us to be the best family church we can be. A good church for earthly families is part of what I mean, but it is more than that. Some of us at All Saints live alone, but together we can get to be an extended intergenerational family, young and old, male and female, different backgrounds, uh, marrieds and singles. I love the story of how the preacher John Stott, who was an elderly single man, a, a lifelong bachelor, used to get addressed by Christian friends as Uncle John. And don't you long to belong to a family like that? I do. Don't you want your children, if you have them, to be part of a family like that? Doesn't it excite you that you can play some part in the life of a younger person in our fellowship to say or do something significant in shaping their life? What a contribution that might be. Well, we will need to put flesh on the bones of the part that we can play. I can't uh, go through the list of the church members and uh, dictate that. You've got to put flesh on the bones and, and work out what it looks like for you. But there's something we can all do and be, I'm sure of that. And I'm going to ask that we pause after the service to talk it over with others. That might be in a Zoom group. Um, maybe one or two of you can pray it in if you're up for that in a Zoom group. Ask the question, how can we be a better intergenerational family as the family of God? Or even more pointed, how can I be a better family member in this intergenerational family? Chat about it in a Zoom group, pray about it, please. It's part of what it means to be genuinely alive spiritually, says 1 John 3, 14. The way we know we've been transferred from death to life is that we love our brothers and sisters. Amen. <clears throat>